Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Looks like we're in line to get about nine inches of snow. Back in October, November, December, that would be big news this late in the winter. Ha, nothing. This week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Chris Ranowski and Jane Cahoon. Laura Johnston is taking President's Day off to go skiing. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Good President's morning. Day. As Mondays often are, we have lots of newsy <laughs> stuff on our plate. It so might not be like this tomorrow after a holiday. <laughs> I know. I, we're going to have to make it up tomorrow. <laughs> not today. Let's begin. Why was Ohio Governor Mike DeWine so angry in his hastily called press conference Friday evening? Chris Ranowski, this was strange for all sorts of reasons. A hastily called Friday night press conference that no one really wanted to deal with. And he was in a blind fury. What was he saying he was angry about before we start to speculate about what he might have been really angry about? <laughs> so Mike DeWine on Friday up pressure on Ohio schools to return to in-open classes on March 1st, suggesting that he would not begin teacher vaccinations at schools that don't, that don't firmly commit to, to going back to classes on March 1st. DeWine said during this hastily called TV briefing, that almost every school district in the state agreed to resume in-person classes by March 1st in exchange for teacher vaccines. But he said on Friday that a handful of schools where vaccines have been distributed, including Akron and Cincinnati, have indicated that they will renege on that agreement and delay reopening, which he called not acceptable. He also mentioned Cleveland schools and Cleveland School District CEO Eric Gordon made a commitment to the governor to do everything in his power to reopen schools by March 1st. But it's sort of a, you know, we're doing our doing the best we can and we'll, we'll see what happens. So he was pretty upset about this and he, he seemed angry, but he also it, it was also very strange that he pulled this together at like 615 on a Friday afternoon. It just it seemed really odd and out of sorts. Well, one reason it seems so odd is while he has been saying all along that that I'm going to vaccinate teachers in exchange for a commitment to open March 1st, he has seemed wiggly on it. Like like I'm looking for a good faith effort. He has never pounded his fist on the table and said, "Damn it, if you don't do this, then I'm not going to vaccinate you." Mm -hmm. So it was kind of strange. I mean, he never came out and said a good faith effort. If they don't make March 1st, I'll be OK with it, because then everybody would have said, oh, OK, I'll do April 1st. But he wasn't the fire breathing dragon. So what might have actually been driving the anger here? Why did he why did we speculate that he felt the need to roar? Um, before before I speculate, I want to say that his the announcement did come just a few hours after the CDC said that there's strong evidence that in-person schooling can be done safely. So I want to give him that credit. 
but I don't know. It just seemed like he had a bad week and he needed to be mad at somebody. And, and so, you know, between 4,000 deaths and uh, that went uncounted and, and an unemployment system that is still in, in embarrassing shambles, I think he needed somebody to pick on because it really felt like he was picking on, you know, three schools in democratic cities. And it just seemed, it seemed, it seemed odd considering how, how much of the coronavirus and, and the education process has been left up to the school districts to deal with. Like this, he shut down schools back last spring, but as far as telling school districts how to reopen safely, providing them resources, the state hasn't been there. And, and they have largely left individual school districts, you know, out on their own. And so to, to come back here toward the end, you know, when the CDC is finally saying it's okay to reopen, to try to try to play the strong man against a bunch of school districts, it just it seems like he's trying to make a very calculated political move here, and it isn't. It doesn't work. Well, it may play in the rural areas because you know Columbus has created this rural urban divide for years now, and so taking shots at the urban districts is interesting. Yeah, look, he he did a good thing in trying to get teachers vaccinated, even with the CDC saying what it did. Teachers aren't buying it. Teachers are saying, look, we're on the front lines. Give us the vaccination. We don't care what you say about safety. I I am surprised because we are hearing a lot of anger about Mike DeWine. People are furious when the age dropped to 65 for vaccinations and you had so many more people out in the market trying to find it. They can't. And so I'm getting email after email, text messages blind fury with the state for how they screwed this up. And because they're doing it in such an efficient and organized fashion for the teachers, it's making those people even more angry because they're saying, why couldn't you do that for us? So, you know, there's some real anger directed at him. Where was his anger about the 4,000 deaths that we failed to count? And where is his anger about how completely screwed up the unemployment system is? Jane Cahoon. Well, I was going to say, like, sending kids back to school is such a a popular thing. Like, people really, really want kids back in school. So I think he was picking something that he thought would play well with with the general public. As you said, after these disasters, especially those deaths, the reporting of the deaths that, you know, they dropped that press release on a Wednesday night barely addressed it at the next day's briefing. You're, you're right. Where was the outrage over that? And w- what was strange was, you know, he, DeWine described this call he had to Eric Gordon from the Cleveland schools, kind of, you know, like he was saying, oh, do you want me to stop the vaccinations? And, you know, and then when um, Jeremy Pelzer, who drew the short straw and had to cover this news briefing, <laughs> asked him, you know, he said, urban schools have some special considerations. It's a, it's a little bit more complex for them to, to go from fully remote to, you know, back to the classroom, the number of students and so forth. And he said, you know, aren't they making like a good faith effort? I mean, is if they're making a good faith effort, you know, isn't that enough? And then he was like, yeah, you know, Eric Gordon said he was making a good faith effort and that's good enough for me. So I'm like, why are you having this news conference? You well, know? I, mean, I think it, it was to roar. I think he wanted, maybe he got some poll results that show that those stratospheric approval ratings from a year ago have completely vanished. People are mad. They're, they're very unhappy with unemployment. They're very unhappy with the vaccination program. The two biggest things Ohio is supposed to be doing to help people through the pandemic. And a lot of people think he has completely screwed it up. 
Well, and we we talked about this last week when the 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 four thousand deaths story came out, which is you dump bad news at six fifteen on a Friday, and you assume that it's that this is going to be the thing that captures the news cycle for the weekend. So it's it's it, you know I just every, everything about this reeks of of a, a desperation a little bit that that he needs he needs a win desperately because he just had a bad week. It, it was a really bad week for him. And everyone in his, his administration, you know, I, that that 4000 death story, I I just I still can't get over how how bad that is and how embarrassing that should be for his administration. Well, think of all the families. A quarter of the deaths in Ohio were missed. It, it, I mean, that that's <laughs> I, I still can't believe it either. We got to move on. It's this week in the CLE. Will history note that Rob Portman tried to have it both ways Saturday, voting that Donald Trump was not guilty of causing the insurrection in the Capitol January 6th while issuing a statement saying Trump did cause it. Jane Cahoon, I, I, I want to point out before you start answering that the Republicans who voted not guilty saying that they didn't believe the impeachment was constitutional is a complete red herring. The Senate had already voted on that, and the vote was it was constitutional. This was a straight vote on did Donald Trump do it or didn't he do it? And Portman tried to say both. No, he didn't, he didn't see it that way. To answer your question, I think history is going to note that he was one of many Republican senators who might as well have not listened to any of the evidence in the trial because he was going to vote all along that it's unconstitutional to try a president who's left office. So it didn't matter what the House managers you know, proved uh, that Trump did or didn't do it. It wouldn't matter if they had a video of Trump plotting the insurrection and telling the mob to go in there and kill Mike Pence or any Congress members, you know, because he said that 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 was the threshold he had to meet was whether it was constitutional. It was not whether, you know, Trump did it or not. But stop. But stop. I mean, this has been aggravating me all weekend. The Senate voted on that. And they voted it was constitutional. The rule of law was it's constitutional. Right. And it's up. Right. And if you don't think it is, then you go to the Supreme Court. This was the verdict. Guilty right. or not guilty. He's playing a game here. And that's why his statement reeks of hypocrisy. Well, it's funny. I think it took him about an hour after the verdict to, to issue a statement. And frankly, he could have he could have had that statement issued a week earlier. I mean, because, as I said, he already decided ahead of time, like he was on the losing side of that vote uh, that they took before the trial. But still, he was he was going to stick by that as as the rationale. So he issued, a, a you know, the outrage kind of um, words that, you know, it's in it was inexcusable what Trump did, encouraging the mob. And he there's some responsibility, you know, putting at risk the safety of Vice President Pence, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But he but he said, the question I must answer is not whether President Trump said and did the things that were reckless and encouraged the mob. I believe that happened. And then he goes on to say the threshold question I must answer is whether a former president can be convicted in the Senate. But that's the big lie. That's absolutely not true. The Senate had already voted on that. He lost the vote, but he but. But that was not the issue. Chris Warnowski. There are so many big lies. It's hard to it's hard to keep track of the big lies. I think what's disingenuous about this is we forget that there was an opportunity for them to actually hear this while Trump was still president. So 
to, to say like, well, we can't do this with a former president. Mitch McConnell was a roadblock to doing this before the end of the Trump presidency and then came out and said, well, I don't know if we can do this. People seem to forget that. Right. And, and, and I think I feel bad for Rob Portman because here he had an opportunity to be remembered in the history books as, you know, one of the, the great kind of bootlickers of, of the Republican Party. And, you know, he could have had a very normal paragraph in history books. And now this is, I think, going to be the defining thing of his whole, entire political career. All of it. He tied it to this. And, and, and the Rob Portmans of the world don't get remembered for much. But when you think of all of the senators you remember who were backing Nixon or, you know, you think of the people who divided this country in half during the Civil War, you remember those people. And this is going to this is going to stain his career for the rest of his life. I, and, I agree. And, and, I, and, and, and he deserves every ounce of it. No, I think his legacy was cooked on Saturday and the statement only made it worse for him. He, you know, he also could have voted his conscience because he's not running again. He didn't have to worry about the. Josh Mandel Trumpsters that are out there coming after him and and trying to run a candidate against him. He could have done the right thing. He clearly believed he caused it because he said so. But then he used a completely bogus reason to vote not guilty. Well, he is And his official record, man, he said Trump did not do it. That's his vote. And that is the stain that I think you're talking about. Well, and, you know, he still has two years left on his term. So we're going to see how many how many rah-rah and supportive police press releases he's, his office puts out that are just going to be meaningless because he had an opportunity to defend police officers who were killed by Trump supporters. And, and, and he just he blew it. I mean, he just threw it all away. Well, let's move on. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What did Kimberly Henderson, who is ultimately in charge of Ohio unemployment, have to say when state lawmakers grilled her about the rampant problems. Chris Ranowski, the, the problems fall into so many categories, we can't count them. But but let's go through. How did the lawmakers treat her when she spent nearly two hours in front of them last week? Well, they grilled her pretty much. And, and she offered a, a lot of various explanations and in most cases, apologies for the ongoing problems that that the state unemployment office has created. It's it's difficult to sort of outline everything, but you have to remember that that there are several crises going on here. You know, the the first crisis is that it's still difficult for people to get their unemployment, and the other crisis is that we had an unprecedented amount of fraud attack our 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 unemployment system, which in turn makes it harder for people to get the unemployment that they need. And so you know, we've. I, I think this was what a three hundred and thirty million dollar problem for the state of Ohio, but so far, so far, and so Kimberly Henderson, who is the director of the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services, spent two hours testifying testifying before the legislature's Unemployment Compensation Modernization and Improvement Council, and offered offered up her explanations, uh, which, you know, were basically, you know, this is hard. We're working on it. We're we're trying to fix it, and we're sorry. But it, some of the testimony was about the staggeringly long wait time some people are having. And, and it was interesting to hear even Republican legislators say, you know, because they're not the friendliest to poor people who need unemployment, that this is unacceptable. And all she could do was apologize. It was almost like a stammering performance. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're trying. You know, it, it, we, we come back to the issues and in, in the in the ideas that 
that Mike DeWine and Lieutenant Governor John Houston have offered quite a bit during all of this, which is, you know, this is an unprecedented event that this happened overnight. Well, overnight is a long time ago. You know, we, we're 11 months into this, almost a full calendar year into this, and we still continue to have these problems. And and to, to say that, you know, you were caught off guard, well, that's okay. That was a year ago. By now, the state should have put the money and the and the resources into actually addressing this problem. And I think I think a lot of lawmakers understand that. Well, I, I said in a previous discussion that I'm hearing from people who are furious about the coronavirus vaccine rollout. I'm hearing just as much from people who are furious about trying to deal with unemployment, whether they're waiting for benefits or trying to understand if they are the victim of fraud. They just cannot get anybody to help them. And for people who need the benefits, we're talking buying food and and basic supplies to continue their existence. There's a lot of agony out there. You would think that Mike DeWine would make this priority one because people are hurting, but he has not. I think what's odd is that people who have been, you know, whose information has been used to make fraudulent claims. I mean, they they still haven't really said, oh, we're going to we're going to tell you we're going to notify you. We're going to send you a letter that says your information has been compromised. They still have largely made this the public's responsibility to figure it out. So it's worse than that. It's, I mean, I'm one of them. And, and the, the my clue was I got a pin. Mm-hmm. It didn't say on the letter a claim has been made in your name. It just said, hey, here's a pin if you want to access your unemployment account. And, you know, you would think it would say, hey, there's a claim in your name. And it'd be like red flags. Well, that's not there. So I had to figure it out. And I heard from a lot of other people with the same thing. That, you know, is the pin something they're doing to make the system more efficient? No. If you get a pin, <laughs> it means somebody has done fraud in your name. It's just a bad system in so many ways. And they don't fix it. I mean, which, you know, it gets back to where is that anger in the in the governor? He got angry at urban school districts, but he, where is the anger with his own administration for repeatedly failing to serve people as they're supposed to? Got to move on. It's this week in the CLE. Why is all the work to curb gerrymandered congressional districts in Ohio, starting with the next election, suddenly in some trouble? Jane Cahoon, this is distressing because we played, I think, a pretty big role in moving this gerrymandering issue along through Rich Exner's great work exposing how bad it was. I thought this was the year we'd be done with it, but I'm worried now. Yeah, this is this is kind of a mess. And a lot of people are really upset about this. And it all comes down to the pandemic. The Census Bureau says that it could be as late as September 30th before it can give Ohio and other states the data that they need to draw these new congressional and statehouse district lines in preparation for next year's election. And and they're providing this information too late to, to meet some of the deadlines we've set up here in Ohio under this reform, uh, this constitutional amendment that that voters approved in 2018 to supposedly fix this and get fairer districts. So these population counts are normally delivered by March 31st, you know, giving them several months to, to, to get it all done, but that ain't happening. So I still do it. If we got them by September, could they squeeze the timeline or is the constitution so set that if we don't make those deadlines, it doesn't happen this election? Do we know? Well, Rich talked to Catherine Terser from Common Cause, and and she said that it could go to litigation, or maybe we could delay the primary. Who knows what you know could be done? 
And then over the weekend, I saw that Frank LaRose, the Secretary of State, tweeted and and said, this is unacceptable. We promised people fair districts and we got to get it done. And he said that he and Attorney General Dave Yost were looking to explore options. So what does that mean? I don't know if they're going to try to delay the primary so that they can get it done. I mean, I don't think they're going to be able to squeeze the data out of the Census Bureau, you know, any sooner. So it's hard to say, you know, what will be done. And as you said, you know, right now we've got these egregiously gerrymandered districts where you got 12 to 4 Republican to Democrat, even though it doesn't reflect the electorate. So it's the other issue here, I'm sorry, is that we don't know yet whether we're going to lose a congressional seat. We think we are going to lose one of the 16 congressional seats. And, you know, we we should be knowing that soon. And we're not going to know that. Well, I'm a little bit surprised that LaRose's first direction was the attorney general, because that sounds like you want to file a lawsuit, I guess, against the Census Bureau. Or maybe it's what you said to start moving dates around, although because this is a constitutional amendment, that could be difficult. I would think the first line would be your congressional delegation to work on Biden, Joe Biden, the president, to do whatever it takes to help the Census Bureau get the job done. It's not just Ohio that faces this. You're right. If we lose a seat, it means somebody gains a seat. That state isn't going to want to wait to increase its clout in Congress. They're going to want that now. So I would think that there'd be pressure building on the president to, to help the Census Bureau get this done. Right. I, I sincerely hope that we don't quickly forget that this was almost 100 percent the responsibility of the previous administration. And I realize that it's this administration's responsibility to to deal with and possibly correct the problem. But man, what 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 the Trump administration tried to do and did with the Census Bureau and the census gathering process should not be forgotten in this. I, you know, I'm not going to be the, but it was Trump. You know, you get, you get sort of a grace period for the new president, but man, what they, what, what the Trump administration tried to do to the census bureau is, is ghastly. Well, they tried to not count immigrants. Right. Right. There was litigation over that. So you have to wonder how much that, that played a role here. I mean, they're saying it was because they had to do, you know, in-person follow-up with uh, difficult to reach populations and so forth. Right. But I mean, it this is, ended, this... though, didn't it? Didn't 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 there come a date where it was ordered to end that there was some effort to go to the courts to get it extended and they didn't get the extension. So if it ended on that specific date, why is it going to take nine more months to get the data? I think everything's just a mess. The previous administration left steaming dog piles everywhere. And and so you know, the Biden administration is going to be unwittingly stepping in them for for months and years to come. I mean, look at the post office. Look at, you know, there there's <laughs> there's just so much. Well, just so much the virus, clean. the virus and the vaccinations. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's commanding so much of their attention. They're probably like, OK, this one. Right. And they're a bit further down the list. Yes. Yeah, and, you know, and we're still waiting on stimulus all, all the all of your best wishes and desires as a candidate hit reality once you become a president so what a mess maybe, maybe you should bring in some business leaders for a public private <laughs> partnership <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to this week in the cle what is the thinking behind ending the coronavirus pandemic restriction on salad bars and would you go to one 
Chris Renowski, <laughs> I, I think most of us wouldn't go within a mile of a salad bar right now, but lo and behold, we have the right if we wish it. When you pose the question, and would you go to one, I think back to the beginning of the coronavirus and how much we had to tell people to wash their hands. <laughs> so no, I will not be going to a salad bar, whether it's safe or not. Even if they have a sneeze guard? Even if they, that doesn't put, keep people's nasty hands away from those lettuce leaves. So, But Ohio Health Director Stephanie McLeod signed an amended order reopening self-service food stations in restaurants, bars, banquet, and catering facilities with certain conditions. The order went into effect February 11th and includes responsibilities for both businesses and customers as a way to stem the spread of the coronavirus. And it requires customers to wear facial coverings while in line for self-service food. Buffet tables and salad bars must be at least six feet from customer seating. Uh, directional signage with will map one directional flow for customers who must maintain social distancing and Customers must use hand sanitizer and stuff. So uh, a lot of stuff that will go hastily enforced and another move to get us back to normal in the middle of a plague. <laughs> I, I, Could I say something here? Uh, sure. This is another one of those things where the, the order was dropped like late in the day after, might have been after hours or, or pretty darn late in the day and not brought up at all at, at the briefing. So you just wonder like, what, why? I just get back to, with all that we've learned, who in their right mind would want to go up to a banquet table where it's just an ew? I think Dan Rather got a lot of attention because of this new oh, right. What did he say? Hard, hard no pass. or hard, hard pass. Right. Hard pass. <laughs> it's like, exactly. Hard pass. And, you know, the great, great attention for Ohio. I wonder, have other states done this? Or are we the leader in allowing salad bars in middle oh, America? Boy. I don't know. It's this week in the CLE. How did the Ohio Department of Health get reorganized following last week's revelation that it had missed counting more than 4,000 deaths from the coronavirus, fully a quarter of the people who had died in Ohio? Jen Cahoon, this wasn't really as dramatic as I would have thought it would be. This really seemed like something that should have heads rolling in a big way. And instead, they just took out the lowest rung on the ladder. Yeah, the uh, the unfortunate epidemiology investigator who got stuck with the job of checking these two death databases and, and got overwhelmed with the job has, has resigned. That person had been put on leave, I think, the day before, and then on Friday they resigned. And then they reassigned the person who had been the chief of the Bureau of uh, Infectious Diseases, reassigned that person to another person in a different division. And then they brought in somebody from the Bureau of Workers' Compensation. That's where the current health director, Stephanie McLeod, she used to be the director of the uh, Workers' Compensation Bureau. So evidently she, she brought over this person named Kristen Dickerson to be the new chief of the Bureau of Infectious Diseases. So, yeah, so a, a resignation, a reassignment, and then a new new boss. Okay. But let, let's step back for a moment. The, the coronavirus, the, it's the biggest story of the past year. It's affected everybody's lives in a big way, and the focus has been on it nonstop. So this is something that's really important to count the deaths, to analyze who's dying so that you can see racial disparities, age disparities, whatever. Getting that right is one of the most important things the health department can do. And somebody set up a structure where this fell on one low-level person. 
Where, what happens to that person who set that system up? Forget the low level person. They got overwhelmed. They couldn't they couldn't do their job effectively. Who set this up? Where, whatever happened to the buck stops here? Is it the health department director? Is it the governor? Who who really should be the one taking the fall for this incredible failure of government? Well, let's not forget that Dr. Amy Acton left quite some time ago. And then for, for a long time, they had like an acting director and they were without a permanent health director for months during this raging pandemic. And they, they tried to get one person to take it and that person backed out. And, you know, and then finally he brought over Stephanie McLeod from the Bureau of Workers' Compensation. So I don't think there's been perhaps a solid or leadership or continuity there that, that, that they've needed. So, but no, is, is a head going to roll? I mean, I, I don't but, think so. But let me, let me stop you there. You're, you're Mike DeWine. You know, the health department is the most important thing going right now. If you can't find a health director, why don't you take the most efficient person you have in your administration and say, look, until I find a health director, I need you to go over there. This is too important to be a headless organism. And Ultimately, I think what I'm arguing is the buck stops with Mike DeWine here. That exactly. exactly. Failed. It failed Ohioans miserably. And yet on Friday night, he was complaining about some urban school districts right. going to get people um, back to classrooms. One, one little footnote. It looks like they're, they're caught up now. You know, they announced this Wednesday night when we had fewer than 12,000 deaths. And as of Sunday, there were over 16,000. They, they did it like in chunks. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, they they added, you know, thousands of deaths to the total. I, for one, cannot wait to see Rich Exner's analysis of those 4,000 deaths. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Well, even absent Laura, we went over time. <laughs> thank, you, thank you, Jane. Thanks to everybody who listens to This Week in the CLE. 